We hope you'll be blessed and inspired and challenged and motivated by this fresh word from Christian Heritage Church. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. I'm going to read the text this morning from the Amplified Version. It's in your outline as well. It says, be sober, meaning well-balanced, self-disciplined. Be alert and cautious at all times. That enemy of yours, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, fiercely hungry, seeking someone to devour. I paraphrase that for you. It too is in your outline, so let's read that. Peter commands saints to be sober, self-controlled, circumspect, cool, show more sound moral judgment. Do it now. It's urgent. That's the tone of this verse. It isn't something that you consider and do later. He's saying, do it now. It's urgent. When he's saying, be sober and be vigilant, do it now. It's urgent. I want to drive that home this morning. Your opponent, your adversary, like a continually roaring lion, howling, trying to excite fear in his victims, is continuously walking around, pacing back and forth, continuously seeking to drink you down and devour you. See, I want us to understand this morning, there is a very real enemy, and he's my enemy, he's your enemy. Peter said, be sober, be vigilant. Your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. And then verse 9, he said, resist him steadfast in the faith. How do we conquer this enemy? We conquer him through the position and the victory that God has already given us through the Lord Jesus Christ. Through faith in him brings victory into our lives. You see, it's not that you're a superstar. It's not that you're a spiritual giant. It's that you belong to the king. It's that you're redeemed. It's that you're blood bought. It's that you're called by his name. It's that you know who you belong to, that you come to fight and see victory in your lives. Not because of who you are. Not because of our talents, not because of our treasure, not because of our education, not because of our abilities, not because of our natural skills, but it's because of who he is that we can be sober, be vigilant, and resist the enemy. Because Jesus has already brought the victory. The word vigilance is the ability to maintain attention and alertness over prolonged periods of time. Now I want you to hear this. There's a lot of times when we get caught in the conflict and all of a sudden our defenses go up. We understand we're under attack. We understand the enemy's coming for us. We understand he's put his crosshairs on our heart. So our defenses go up. We're sober. We're vigilant. We're alert. We're aware. But then there are other times when we're just kind of rolling along through life. When everything seems to be good. When no pressure is coming against us. When we're not fighting any intense spiritual battles and we relax. But Peter is saying in the life of the born again spirit filled believer, relax is not an option. Be sober, be vigilant, be constantly alert, always aware because the enemy is ready to pounce. As a roaring lion to devour, to drink you in. To destroy you. I want you to understand Satan does have power. However, he is a creative being. Therefore, his power doesn't even begin to compare to the power of a living God. 
Oh, come on, folks. I've got to give him his dues. But more than that, I've got to say we serve the King of kings and the Lord of lords. The one who's already conquered hell, death, and the grave. The one who's already delivered his fate to him by rising again from the dead. Jesus Christ is the victor and the champion. So we understand Satan has power. But we also understand greater is the power of God. Satan's power is suggesting. Now think about it. When he comes with the temptation, it's the power of suggestion. It's the power of influence. Why do you think Paul writes to the Corinthian church when he says it this way, bad company corrupts good character? Because Paul understands it's all about influence. Look, folks, it matters who you hang out with. It matters who you associate with as close friends. It matters who's in your circle of influence because influence is a tactic of the enemy. His power is suggestive. It's a power to influence. Go back to Genesis in the Garden of Eden. When Satan came to tempt Eve, he didn't tell her directly, you should eat of this forbidden fruit. He said, but really, did God really say that? It was a suggestion, the power of suggestion that caused her to lower her defenses and do what God had commanded her not to do. The same for her husband, Adam. When Satan comes with temptation, often it's nothing more than suggestion. He did the same thing to Jesus, Matthew chapter 4, verse 3. When Jesus had concluded a 40-day fast, Satan came to tempt him. And this is what he said, if you're the son of God, command these stones to be turned into bread. Jesus had eaten in 40 days. Of course, he was hungry. But if you're the son of God, the power of suggestion. This is why he does it to you and me. If you're really all that, you wouldn't be going through this. Oh, come on, somebody, you need to hear me. If you're really that strong in the Lord, you won't be walking through this kind of a thing. If you really are grounded in the word, these things shouldn't be happening to you. You see, because there is a false theology permeating the church today that says once you're a born-again believer, you'll never have another problem. I've come to tell you this morning, that's a lie from the pit of hell. You need to understand, every morning when you get up, you better strap on your boots, put on your armor, because it's war. It's war. There's an enemy who wants to destroy you, but greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. It's time to understand this isn't about just floating through life and getting along. Yvonne and I are going to Peru. We're going to Iquitos, the most wicked city in South America. A place where human trafficking and sex trafficking is the order of the day. Where drugs flow in the streets. Why are we going there? Because where darkness goes, I want to be the light. I want to be the light. Oh, come on, church. It's time to stop backing away from the fight and charge into the fight. Why? Because greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Throughout our ministry, God hadn't called me to go to comfortable places. He's called me to the tough places, the hard places, the place where it's a fight and it's a battle. I took Yvonne to Lagos, Nigeria a couple years ago, and it was something she had never experienced before. It's a battleground. And can I say it this way? When God called us to Tallahassee four and a half years ago, he called us to a battleground. 
This city is under spiritual attack and has been under the dominion of the enemy far too long. It's time for the saints of God and the people of God to arise out of our relaxed state and to say, God, we're going to fight for you. This city is worth fighting for. These people are worth fighting for. They're not going to go to hell on our watch. We will stand in the gap and see you do something greater. Come on, folks, we're in a battle. Every morning when you give up, get up. Before you take that first cup of coffee, you better put on the helmet of salvation. You better buckle on the best breastplate of righteousness. You better have your loins girded with that belt of truth. You better shed, shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. And you better pick up that shield of faith wherewith you quench every fiery dart of the enemy. And oh, don't forget, don't forget your sword. Don't forget the word. Don't forget the power of God. Oh, come on. It's sharp. It's powerful. It's effectual. And it divides asunder. Problems in the modern church are directly related related to the fact that we have laid down the Word of God. We have watered down the Word of God. We have compromised the Word of God. Satan's power is seductive. The way you overcome seduction and influence is with truth. Can somebody say amen? And this book is truth from Genesis to Revelation. It's the word of the living God. And if you'll put the word in you, know what's going to come out? The word is going to come out. So that when the enemy comes against you, you're not arguing with him. You're not reasoning with him. But rather, just like Jesus, you're giving him the word. And the word is quick and sharp and powerful. More so even than a two-edged sword, Paul writes to Timothy. Oh, come on, church. It's time to understand. We're in a fight. We're in a battle. The adversary has power, but greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. Let me tell you about the plans of Satan. Four things. I'm just going to read them. They're not in your outline. You want to write this down. Four things his plan wants to to accomplish. Number one, he wants to make sin less offensive. Write it down. Sin less offensive. You need to understand every time you turn on the boob tube, you're being desensitized towards sin. You need to understand the influence of... Music is a powerful influence. But when you allow the wrong type of stuff into your mind, you are being desensitized towards sin. So much so that anymore everything is say la vie, whatever goes, goes. Oh, come on, church, it's time once again to lift up the standard of righteousness and to declare the word of God is yet true. And if it says it, we should believe it, we should embrace it, and we should live it because the word is true secondly he wants to make heaven less appealing when things are so great here on earth why do we want to go to heaven man i got a nice house i got a nice car i wear nice clothes i've got money in the bank life is so good why would i ever want to check out to make heaven less appealing do you understand what god has prepared for you and me Jesus said it this way, in my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. And if I go away to prepare a place for you, I will come again that where I am, there you may be also. Oh, come on, church. 
Do you understand heaven is to gain and hell is to shun? Do you understand this life is temporal? It's but for a moment. James says it's a vapor, a puff of smoke, and then it's gone. I'm not living for today. I'm living for eternity. And the price of eternity is eternal vigilance. Eternal vigilance. Be on your guard. Be alert. Because the enemy wants to make heaven less appealing. Third thing he wants to do is make hell less horrific. He wants to make hell less horrific. Write that down. Oh, we crack jokes about it all the time. People are always joking about hell. Hell is no joking matter. Do you understand it's a bottomless, fiery pit where people spend eternity who do not know Jesus Christ? You see, there's only two classes of people in the world today. Those that know him and those that don't know him. And when we stand before God, there's only two classes of people. Those who know him and those who do not know him. It doesn't matter how good you are, how much money you gave, how much, how much uh, you influence those around you, how you changed your culture. Listen to me. If you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, if you've never said, forgive me of my sins, change my life, turn me around, you don't know him. It all comes through a relationship with him. And if you don't know him, then there's coming a day when you're going to see how horrendous hell really is. The great news is we're still living on this side of eternity. And because we're living on this side of eternity, the hour is still for you and I to come to know him as our Lord and Savior. He is not willing that any should perish, but that all come to repentance. This is your day. This is your day to see your life change and your future change and turned around so that you can say, I know him. The fourth thing that the devil wants to do, his plans for, for the church, is to make the gospel less urgent. To make the gospel less urgent. That's why we've watered down Christianity. It's not urgent anymore. It's not a matter of life and death any longer. Oh, friend, I've come to tell you this morning, if someone slides into eternity without knowing Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior, their eternal destiny is a devil's hell. It's not purgatory. It's not Sheol. It's not Hades. It's not pray me out, grandma and grandpa. It's hell forever. We have to understand the urgency of the gospel that all men need to hear that Jesus Christ loves them, died for them, and gave his life for them. So with that in mind, how do we fight this warfare? Number one, we're alert. We're alert. We talked about three things last week. I'm starting with number four. Be alert. Peter said in 1 Peter 5 eight, be sober, be alert, be cautious at all times. Be alert. Wake up, church! Wake up! There's an enemy that wants to destroy you, but the victory has already been given to you if you'll simply wake up and embrace what Jesus has done. Oh, it's not enough to come to church on Sunday morning. Started to say, I don't mean to offend you, but that would be a lie. I hope I do offend you. It's not enough to come to church on Sunday morning. You have got to be alert every day of your life. You've got to be awake. You've got to be watching. You've got to be vigilant. You've got to understand Christianity is not a casual affair. It's war. And I got to stand my post. I got to stand guard. I've got to be alert and aware. 
Verse 9 of our text says, resist him steadfast in the faith. The word steadfast, when you translate it directly from the Greek, means stand up stiff. Oh, come on, somebody get this. You have had, haven't had a backbone in years. God is saying this morning, in this place, I'm going to infuse by the Spirit of the living God a Holy Ghost backbone in you, and you're going to stand. The wind's not going to bend you. Culture is not going to break you. You're going to go with every wind of doctrine. You're going to stand stiff as a board saying, this is where I'm at and what I'm doing. Oh, I love that picture. Love that word picture. I hope it touches your heart this morning. We don't need to water down the gospel. The gospel is the only answer for our culture. I don't know about you, but I've chosen to take my position with the Apostle Paul. This is the way he wrote it to the Romans in chapter 1, verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation to the Jew first and also to the Greek. I'm taking a stand. I'm going to be steadfast. I'm going to stand like a board. The winds will not move me. Culture will not move me. Satan will not knock me down. I'm standing for Jesus Christ. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So you got to be careful, Pastor. Preaching like that, you're going to offend somebody. You're going to make them mad. You're going to get down in their business and they're never going to come back again. Listen to me. I'd rather make you mad today and see you come to Jesus and make it into heaven than to placate your superficial spirituality and see it burst hell wide open. You can say amen or owe me. I really don't care. I said it with a smile. Got to count for something. I said it with a smile. It's time for you and I to understand the enemy desires to destroy. What does the text say? As a roaring lion, to drink you in, to devour you. That's his plan. But Jesus has other plans when we choose to stand. James chapter 5 verse 16, James said it this way. The effectual fervent prayer of the righteous man avails much. If you look at those two words translated effectual and fervent from the Greek, comes from the word energeo. It's the word we get our energy from. Now listen to me, friend. If you understand you're in a battle, and if you understand prayer is a weapon in that battle, I can't believe I'm going to say this, but here I go. You're not going to be rubbing rosary beads hoping for help. I said I couldn't believe I was going to say it, but I did. You're not going to be repeating vain, repetitious prayers hoping for help. James said the effectual, fervent prayer, energeo, is energized by the Holy Ghost. And that's the prayer that makes a difference. Now, am I saying you have to yell and scream and shout and holler? No, that's not what I'm saying. Years ago, a guy said to me, well, God's not deaf. You don't have to be so loud. And I said, he's not nervous either. Come on. We need to understand it's the effectual, fervent prayer. That prayer of energy. That prayer of passion. That prayer that consumes us. That brings changes in the heavenlies. That bring changes in our life. If all you do is say, God bless the grub, let's eat. That's not effectual and fervent. If all you do is say, oh God, will you please save my kids? That's not effectual and fervent. 
If all you do is say, God, would you please touch my city? That's not effectual and fervent. But if you'll get out of your seat, and if you go into the streets of Tallahassee, and if you'll pray over these houses, and pray over these people, and if you'll say, God, if you don't come down, God, if you don't intervene, God, if you don't do something, these folks are going to split hell wide open. Come on, effectual and powerful. Prayers that are anointed and energized by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's interesting when James wanted to illustrate effectual fervent prayer, he took us to the biography of Elijah. And he took us to the book of 1 Kings. Matter of fact, you can read it. I'm going to flip there. You say you're over your time already, Pastor. I don't care. We're going to be here until I'm done today, all right? So just get used to it. 1 Kings chapter 16, verse 33. It says, and Ahab made a wooden image. Ahab did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel to anger than all the kings of Israel who were before him. Elijah was living in a terrible time. He was the voice of God in a culture of heathenism. He was the voice of God in a culture of idolatry. He was the voice of God in a culture of wickedness. It says Ahab did more to provoke the anger of the Lord God than every other king of Israel who preceded him. That's a pretty tall statement. It's in that culture that God inserted Elijah. You can look at it, verse 17 and following. Elijah confronted Ahab and God said, it's not going to rain on the earth for a space of years. And when he confronted him, then God said in verse 1, it's time to get out of Dodge, Elijah. Don't stick around here where he can find you and kill you, but go to the brook Cherith. And at the brook Cherith, I will command the ravens to feed you, and you can drink from the book and brook, and I will sustain you. It's a beautiful picture of God's provision in difficult times. It's a beautiful picture of the fact that God watches over his children. It's a beautiful picture of the fact that he really is Jehovah Jireh, the Lord who provides. But it says, after some time passed, you can read it, I believe it's there in verse 7, it is. After some time passed, the brook dried up. What does that tell me? It tells me that when you're living in an evil culture, when you're living in difficult times, just because you're a believer doesn't mean you're going to be exempt. Oh, I love the way you're shouting now. Oh my goodness, this is such good stuff. I know you're going to share this sermon with everybody. You're going to tell all your friends and family, oh, I was so inspired. No, you're not. But it's truth. Because even in the difficult times, Elijah was not exempt. God sent him to the brook, said, I'll provide for you. But because of the severity of the drought, the drought that Elijah prayed for. Are you making this connection? The drought that he prayed for caused the brook to dry up. So suddenly there's no water. Where are those crows bringing me bread every day? It's gone. And God says to him, get up and go to the widow of Zarephath. Well, that whole picture is amazing. Now remember, James is telling us about effectual fervent prayer, right? And he's illustrating it with the biography of Elijah. So he goes to the widow of Zarephath. And he finds her outside picking up sticks. She's getting ready to make a fire, cook the last of her oil and meal, make a small cake. Her and her son are going to eat it, and then they're going to die. 
But the man of God had the audacity to say, make me a small cake first. I'm a little hungry. The crows quit bringing my bread. Would you substitute for them? Would you make me something to eat? And she said, all we have is enough that we can eat and then we're going to die. You see, she was willing to do what she could do. She was doing her best to take care of her family and herself, but it was all she could do. Provisions were gone. But in that moment, the man of God said, let me show you what God can do. Oh, somebody hear me. The effectual fervent prayer of the righteous man moves us from what we can do to what God can do. It moves us to an arena and to a position where the windows of heaven are open. The power of God falls and lives are transformed. But those little wimpy prayers ain't going to get the job done. If Elijah would have said to that widow of Zarephath, oh, I understand. I don't want to inconvenience you. I understand you're going to eat and you're going to die. I'll do your funeral for you. It's all going to be okay. He didn't say that. He said, no, I want to show you what God can do. Make me a cake. And when you read the rest of that scripture, it says her oil never ran dry. Her vat never went dry because God provided through her obedience. I wish that was the end of the story. It's not because then it says her son died. So it went from bad to worse. Her son died. You see, all the time I'm hearing believers say, I don't understand why this is happening to me. Let me say it again. There is a target on your back. The X is on your heart. The enemy wants to devour you, destroy you, drink you down. Bad things happen not because God isn't good. Bad things happen because the devil is evil. Come on, get that in your heart. Every time you blame God for bad things, you're taking yourself out of the opportunity for God to minister to you. Don't you dare blame the God I serve for the bad things that are happening. You need to look the other way and you need to find old horns on the head and you need to say, devil, I resist you in the name of Jesus. I fight you in the name of Jesus. The power of God is greater. I want you to remember who you are and where you are. You are under my feet and that's where you're going to stay. Oh, come on, church. Quit blaming God for what the devil's doing. Son died. Elijah went up, prayed for him, brought him back to life, gave her her son. And then she said, crazy statement. I believe you really are a man of God. Are you kidding me? You've just ate from the same oil vat and the same flour bin for months, maybe years that you've been eating from that was almost dry. You've never missed a meal. And just now, you believe he's a man of God. Why are we laughing? Because that's us. We do the exact same things. So the way we act, we only remember today's blessing. We only remember today's outpouring. We only remember today's miracle. 
Oh, folks, I challenge you today, when you're involved in the fight, you had better build an altar. You had better set the stones in place. And every one of those stones should remind you of what God has already done for you. He saved you. He delivered you. He healed you. He filled you with the Holy Ghost. He's given you hope and a future. Every one of those stones are a memorial stone to who God is and how faithful he is. And then you see God says to him, the word of the Lord came to him is what the scripture says. Go confront Ahab. Go confront the guy you left town because of. Go confront my enemy, God's enemy. And then Elijah, when he gets there, I love what Ahab said about him. He said, oh, there you are, you troubler of Israel. You troublemaker, there you are. And Elijah said, hey, not me. You're the one that introduced the Baal worship, all the false gods and idols. You're the one that married that Jezebel. Don't blame me for your stupid mistakes. And the Bible says he then challenged the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. I don't have time to read that whole story. But the bottom line in what James was driving for when he gave us the biography of Elijah was this. After conquering the prophets of Baal, calling fire down from heaven, destroying and consuming the sacrifice, killing all those prophets, then Elijah said, it's time to pray for rain. So he went up on the mountaintop with his servant, and he said to his servant, I'm going to pray, and you're going to watch. And he put his head between his knees and he began to pray. We don't know what he said. We have no idea. The scripture doesn't record it. But after a while, he said to his servant, go check and see. Now, I don't think the servant just had to run up a few steps like this and then take a look at the sky. I think he had to climb the mountain. He had to go where he could see the whole horizon. And he came back down, and he said, there's nothing. And Elijah prayed again. Put his head between his knees, began fervently, fervently praying. And when he prayed, then he said, go check again. He ran back up to the mountaintop again. And again, this wasn't three minutes or five minutes. This may have taken an hour or two hours, who knows, for him to get back to Elijah. There's nothing. Nothing there. That's where most of us stop. That's where most of us quit. Some of us have bought the lie, I pray once and forget it. Oh, let me tell you something. If there's something in your heart that God needs to do, you grab a hold of the horns of the altar and you pray until you get the answer. You don't give up. You don't give in. You don't just say it's not going to happen or God's heard me once. That's all I got to do. I'm telling you, if you are effectual and fervent in your prayers, if divine energy is flowing through you, it's not a one and done. Elijah put his head between his knees again and began to pray. After a while, he said to a servant, go check again. So he goes back to the mountaintop. I'm glad I wasn't a servant, aren't you? I'm getting tired just talking to you about this. He went back to the mountaintop where he could see the whole horizon, every direction. And a smile came across his face. Then it turned into a frown. Because I don't see much. I just see a little. Oh, somebody needs to get this this morning. You're looking for the whole answer when God's saying, I'm showing you a peace. And if you'll grab a hold of the peace and stand in faith, the answer is going to come. 
Stop looking for the whole answer and look for what God is providing to lead you to the next step. Faith is not about knowing the end. Faith is about having enough light to see tomorrow, to see the next step, and to keep walking after God. Servant came down and he said, well, I see a hand or a cloud the size of a man's hand. A cloud the size of a man's hand. A cloud the size of a man's hand. What did Elijah say? He said, get up. Because I hear the sound of an abundance of rain. The effectual fervent prayer of the righteous man avails much. It makes a difference. It's powerful and effective. He said, I don't see the thunderstorms coming yet, but I hear the sound. Oh, come on. Does anybody hear the sound of victory? Does anybody hear the sound of rain? Does anybody hear the sound of abundance and God moving through this place again? I hear the sound. I hear the sound. I hear the sound of an abundance of rain. And the devil's telling you it's just a cloud the size of a man's hand. Rain that stops a drought can't come from a cloud the size of a man's hand. There are no thunderstorms in the sky. The thunderheads aren't building 60,000 feet into the atmosphere. Rain isn't coming from a cloud the size of a man's hand. But James said he prayed, and because he prayed, and because he saw, and because he heard the sound of the abundance of rain, revival rain swept through that land. He would not be defeated. He would not be denied. He would not turn back. Oh, somebody, it's time to get on your feet this morning and say, I hear the sound. I hear the sound. I hear the sound of abundance of rain. I hear the sound, the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. It's powerful and effective. The effectual, fervent prayer in her jail. Prayers infused and energized by the Holy Ghost make a difference in our circumstances. Make a difference in our lives. Make a difference in who we are. You know that old King Ahab? He said to Elijah, you're the one who troubles Israel. You're the one who's causing all these issues. Elijah said, no, it's not me. It's you. You're the enemy of God. You're the one that created the problems. God's now judging you because of it. So I've come to tell you this morning, when the enemy comes in, Isaiah said it this way, when the enemy comes in like a flood, comma, the Spirit of God will raise up a standard against him. Oh, I've come to raise a standard this morning. I've come to tell you, you're not the tail, you're the head. I've come to tell you, you're not cursed, you're blessed. I've come to tell you, you're a child of the Most High God. I've come to tell you, you are redeemed. 
redeemed. You're the apple of his eye. You're his chosen. Oh, you know what Peter said? He said it this way. He said, you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people. That you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Who were once not a people. Oh, come on. Do you get that this morning? I was a sinner. I ready to split hell wide open. And Jesus interrupted my life. He forgave me. He cleansed me. He transformed me. I was not a people. But now I am the people of God. Oh, come on, church. Do you hear the sound? Do you know who you are? Will you go to the mountain? Will you put your head between your knees and pray until the answer comes? He said, you were not a people, but now that you're people of God, you have not obtained mercy, but you have now obtained mercy. I don't know about you, but this morning, I want to make the devil nervous. I want to make the enemy nervous. I want to put notice on Satan, no sloop with horns on the head that I've come to fight. And every morning, when I roll out of my bed and put my boots on, it's going to be to fight the good fight of faith, to be sober, to be vigilant, and to see him flee. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed across this room this morning. You're here today and you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. If you were to die tonight, you'd split hell wide open. And there are no do-overs in eternity. No do-overs. You're here this morning, you say, Preacher, something you said, No, folks, it's the Holy Ghost. It's the Holy Ghost that's working in your heart. And He's telling you it's time to repent. It's time to confess Jesus as your Savior. Confess your sins and let Him change you. That's you this morning. Something's going on inside of you. It's a great conflict. But you know today, you've got to change something in your life. That change is accepting Jesus. That's you. I'm talking about you. And I'm talking to you right now. So across this room, right where you stand, slip up your hand and say, pray for me. I need Jesus. Pray for me. I need Jesus. I want to be changed. I want to be transformed. I want my life to be renewed by him. And so wait just a moment. Slip up your hand. Hold it high. I need Jesus. I need Jesus. Slip that hand up. Hold it high. Yes, sir. Anyone else? I need Jesus. I need Jesus. Yes, yes, yes. Anyone else? You'll slip that hand up and say, I need Jesus. I want to alter my destiny today by accepting Jesus as my Lord and Savior. So wait just another moment. I want to give you an ample opportunity. I need Jesus. Every one of you who raised your hands, I'm going to ask you to be courageous. I'm going to ask you to be bold. And I'm going to ask you to step out from where you're standing, whether you're in the risers or seated on the floor. And I want you to meet me right down here. Brother Glenn, bring our brother with you. If you raise your hand, this is your time. This is your moment. This is your hour. Come on. Yes, sir. Others, come on. Don't wait for anyone else. He said, I need Jesus. Come on. This is your moment. This is your day. This is your opportunity. David, come on, please. David, come on. This is your opportunity. This is your day. This is your hour. You'll join these three. Other others, come on. This is your moment. This is your moment. 
Come on. Come on. Anyone else? I'm going to pray with you. It's a very short prayer. What happens in this prayer is not determined by the words. It's determined by your faith in Jesus Christ. Do you believe that He is the Son of God? Do you believe that He died for your sins? Do you believe He rose again on the third day? Do you believe that when I confess my sins, He's faithful to forgive me of my sins and to cleanse me of all unrighteousness? Then pray this prayer with me. If you're standing in the audience today, pray this prayer with me. Dear Jesus, I'm a sinner. I need a Savior. I ask you to touch my heart and change my life. I freely and openly confess my sin to you. Now change me. Cleanse me. Transform me. Make me new. Take away all the ugly and the old and the sin and replace it with your life, your presence, your joy. I ask you to do what your word said you would do in the name of Jesus. I want you to turn and follow David. David's going to pray with you personally. He's going to lead you to that place of assurance right this way. Just turn and follow David. He's going to pray with you and lead you to that place where you know that you know that you know that God is ruling and reigning in your life. Now, church, I'm not done yet. If you're here this morning, you're fighting a battle, and you need to have the resolve of Elijah. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Step out from where you're standing. Meet me in this altar. I'm going to pray with you and pray for you. And before you leave this place today, God is going to bring hope. God is going to bring change. You're going to hear the sound of the abundance of rain. You're going to see in the cloud the size of a man's hand. And you're going to say, my God is more than a Come on, there's room for you. Come on this morning. Right across the front, we're going to pray. Elders and deacons, step in behind them, please. Pastors, if on come, step in behind them. Let's begin praying. Our prayer is that God will take this word and plant good eternal seeds deep into your soul. Father, we pray for your great wisdom to infiltrate this listener, draw them to you, and take them gently down the road to their next destination in life. And if you're in need of a home church, we invite you to join us at Christian Heritage Church on Shera Road in Tallahassee, Florida, a multicultural church founded on the truth of God's Word and the power of the Holy Spirit. For a worship service where the presence of God has first place, you're invited to Christian Heritage Church. Sunday morning service is at 10.30, Wednesday evening at 7, plus youth group and kid power and small groups and more. For all the latest information, visit our website, chctoday.com.